Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Warren. So this week on the podcast, we have Lee Coffee. Lee is a writer from Dublin. Um, you'll know his work, um, mainly from the theatre stuff that he's done. Uh, he burst onto the scene a couple of years ago with uh, Leper and Ship, which was at the New Theatre, the Project Art Centre. It's been to Edinburgh. Um, it just got kind of uh, amazing reviews across the board and... Uh, it just was really the way Lee burst onto the scene uh, in a really exciting way. Uh, since then, Lee's done the 24-hour plays at the Abbey. He's been a rough magic seed. Uh, I most recently um, seen his work at the Project Art Centre with Murder of Crows, uh, which went a tour to the Lyric and to Garter Lane. Like He's done loads of stuff, um, and he's a really exciting writer uh, who's working away at the moment, and he's one of them people that no matter what he does, I want to see it. Um, and if you haven't already had the pleasure, make sure that you do next time uh, his work is in town, because uh, it's really special. He's a really uh, great writer, and a really great dude, as you're going to hear. This was kind of our first time uh, properly um, sitting down and uh, having the chats and it was great uh, he's an absolute gentleman and uh, someone I really admire and it's always nice when you admire someone to uh, yeah I don't know just have lovely chats with them uh, as well and that's what happened here uh, in other news uh, there's not much of it just um, we're ploughing on with the episode you have some great ones coming up uh, we have Paddy Murphy um, you know from Rory Stories and the Facts Channel um that's uh, coming up really soon. You also know him from uh, First Dates when he charmed the pants off the nation. Uh, it's a lovely, lovely episode. Um, and then we have uh, Aileen McCann, who's currently uh, in Assassins at the Gate. Uh, you'll know her from The Great Gatsby uh, as well, which was a smash hit uh, earlier this year. Um, and yeah, just loads of loads of great people um, on the way. So um, as always, um, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating if you can. Uh, and... Tell a friend, because that is the way to keep spreading the news about the podcast. If you do listen, let us know online. It's always so lovely to hear when people uh, are listening, because um, it's a very mysterious world, uh, the podcast. I don't know what you people put in your earphones. So um, if it chooses to be a personality bingo, uh, and myself and the lovely guests do, let me know. Uh, guys, please enjoy the wonderful Lee Coffee playing personality bingo with Tom Moran. Coffee, ready to play personality bingo? I am indeed. Right, sweet. I'll give a quick explainer of how it all works. I say explainer every week and I'm almost certain it's not a word. It's definitely not a word, is it? Don't ask me. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We're both two fucking writers, not an idea. Anyway, um, so I'm going to put 60 minutes on the clock. Uh, I've got 60 questions in front of me and 60 balls in the bingo machine. I've also given you six numbers. Would you do me a favour and read them out for me? Yep. So one, yeah. 19, right. 49, okay. 16, yeah. 20, right. and 33. Brilliant. And uh, I should say that if all their numbers do come out, that means the tables are turned and you get to ask me any question that you Anything want. at all. Anything at all. Right. Will you give it a spin? Yeah, go okay. on. Okay. All right, here we go. First one out the gate. We have number six. Do you have it? I don't. No worries. Number six. The question is, if you couldn't do what you're doing right now, uh, what would your uh, career of choice be? Anything at all. Yeah. This is left field. Uh, I'd probably be a marine biologist. Really? Yeah. Uh, in school, I I was fascinated with the sea. Well, I still am, but I just I've always wanted to do it. And I think Galway was the only place or something that did it. And then I did shit me leaving cert, and I was like, I'm never gonna get near that. So I flew around for a while. And then I started to write. I was like, oh, I can kind of do this. <laughs> and marine biology was just gone. I'd love to move to Australia, study it over there, buy a boat, and just go get lost in the sea. Really, but I'd probably die because everything over there kills you. Yeah, especially I, in the sea. Yeah, I was. I got. I got into a, a little rabbit hole of watching like animals killing animals yesterday. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Once you get down that rabbit hole, it's like it's enchanting. Like just watching. Water. Yeah, <laughs> just watching like lions kill giraffes or something. Or they take down like a big giant elephant and it's something like fifteen of them. And they're doing it for about four hours. It's mad. Yeah. Like yeah, and like that 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 was the thing that really struck me, like how long it takes. But then but then I started watching like like underdog story ones where like you know like a like a <laughs> like a a, a, a a mouse would save a like a, a fucking rat from a snake or something like mad, mad shit. Like just watching these ridiculous teaming together. Yeah. No, but you find yourself cheering for the animals because you know if they're taking out a bull, then you're like, go on, leg it, and you give them names. Yeah. Like go on, breed it. <laughs> <laughs> Breed of the hippo like. Let's give them Irish names Breed of go on Declan's at home waiting on you <laughs> It's terrible So So What, what Like Yeah what, I, I think I, I, I was a kid And my ma bought me Do you remember Blue Planet Yeah The David Attenborough documentary Yeah And I watched it on a loop 
for about a year. I think I was tw- about 12. Mm. And I was like, I'd love to do that. But then over here, we don't really have anything good that could kill you. No. Like, you want to go swim with sharks or you want to go, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kill a whales. Yeah. Or Because all we have is, what, seals in yeah. Hoth. Yeah. They're not the best crack, are they? They get, the odd time you get like whales, I think, like out in Donegal and on the west coast. And sharks, basking sharks. Basking sharks, yeah. But they're not none of the ones that can do you any harm. No. But like imagine like I just if I seen something even though on an intellectual level I'd be like oh no I've heard a million times they can't hurt you I wouldn't give a fuck I'd oh, be I terrified I went scuba diving in Cree right. and I went underwater and as I did there was a tiny fish in front of me and I shit myself <laughs> and I panicked because <laughs> I didn't expect it to be there yeah and it kind of just went at me and I just let well not like that I swam away yeah <laughs> <laughs> so imagine if I went under and there was a big shark there yeah I'd probably just die in spot yeah oh no I, like I can't like it must be the worst way to go like and you realise like in that second you're like oh fuck there is a shark like and I know like I'm sure it happens so fast and you don't but like fuck me what a terrible way and what about when you said you did like bad in the leaving cert was that like an expected thing like you weren't good in school you didn't like school or were you kind of you expected to do better Um, I didn't really expect anything I was in school like I was in the top class and I was with all the lads that were doing really well but I turned into like, the class clown and I just started to mess all the time and then around the time you leaving cert I just didn't study I was just going out with my mates because I think I didn't do transition year. I think I was 17, leaving school or something. Mm. Just gone. So I was really young. And then all the lads were, they'd done transition year. So when I was doing my leaving cert, they were all um, in fifth year. So they had their summer to themselves. Right. That's the only reason. Yeah. And then I left and I was like, oh, I was an idiot. Why didn't I just study? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, so yeah. much easier to study. And then when you say you were fluting around, what like what did that look like for you? What did it look like? Yeah, like were you going out loads? or um, were you? Yeah, like you'd just be going out and you'd be drinking and stuff. Like, yeah. And just doing what? 17 year olds do yeah. you go around the field and just having a few cans and hiding them from the guards yeah, 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 <laughs> whatever yeah, yeah. you do out in Tala yeah. that's pretty much it or going playing football or the lads are going on holidays and you go with them or they're going on a weekend away to their man's caravan in Betty's town or something yeah and you go and do that kind of great yeah it was great but not when you have to come back and your leaving cert is there yeah well yeah right 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 and, <laughs> yeah. and, and then so and then after after that and after the leaving cert was done and it didn't go as the planned like what what did that time look like between then and like when you uh, wrote first play or like when I you got into that business did you yeah i went to tala it and i studied business for i studied it for about three months passed all my exams and i didn't tell me ma i left and i was sitting in harry ramson's in the square and she me ma walked in <laughs> and it's goes yeah, man, I dropped out of college, <laughs> and that was it. And then I worked full-time for about two years. What did you do? I did improv, and I did stand-up at the time. Yeah. So I did a lot of improv. I was in an improv troupe for a few years. We did a lot of gigs. We did a lot of festivals. Yeah. Um, And then I never thought about writing anything. And then I went back and studied drama in Inchicore for three years. And that kind of got me in because I was reading a lot of scripts. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when I left, I was like, oh, here, I'm not working. I'm not really doing anything. I'll write a script. And I, I'd been writing anyway, like writing jokes and writing little short stories, but I never thought I could write a play. You know when you hear someone saying, Jesus, they wrote a play. It seems like this unattainable yeah. object. Um, but I did it, and it was it went well. So that's how I kind of literally fell into it. Yeah. And then that's what I've been doing now, ever since. What was the, like, journey, like, because it, it's interesting, like, we, there's so many, like, <laughs> like, do you ever... No, I'm sure you don't. But like, there's so many like actors who write now, yeah. or like writers who act. Whatever you want to look at it, yeah. Like, and and you're someone. Am I right in saying you don't act anymore? Like, you no. are a writer now. Yeah. Like, what? What? How do you view, like, <laughs> me? Because I do both. Do you know what I mean? And I hate I, you. Tom. Yeah, you hate me. I know. I know. <laughs> no, I don't. But do you know what I mean? Like, what? 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 What is the reason that you don't act anymore? Maybe. Um, a few people say this to me, like, "Oh, is it because you weren't any good?" I was like, no. Well, I don't know if I wasn't any good, but I didn't think I was bad. Yeah. Sure, loads of actors think they're not bad. You know, when you see them on stage, and you're like, oh, God, swallow me up. Yeah. Um, no names. <laughs> but, well, so what do I think? Um, We did a show. So we put on a first show in 2014. And I just wrote that. And I went on. And then the following year, Amelia, who's in our company, she wrote a play. And we put it on in Scene and Heard. Um, I think it was collaborations at the time mm. it hadn't changed over just yet or it might have been the first year I've seen it here I'm not too sure and I acted in it and I didn't enjoy it I'd rather sit and watch and observe rather than be up there I just didn't enjoy it so I like to direct or I like to write I feel the way I felt with Leopard and Chip giving the script to another actor to do it felt a lot better for mm. me mm. that I could watch it and go oh, that doesn't work why and I could analyse the script and what I was doing rather than someone giving me a script and they're not my words and I don't really know what I'm doing with it and trying to find my way through that, I'd rather be the person to give the script over to somebody else. Yeah. And I found it out after a year. And then I haven't acted since. And that's been three years. And how do you feel, like, 
for example, with Leopard and Ship and Murder Crows, Carl directed both of them, right? Yeah. Carl Shields, okay. So, like, Carl's obviously, like, uh, and was, was Leopard and Ship the first thing Carl directed? Um, I think it might have been. Yeah. yeah. I think it was. And Theatre Upstairs, I'm not sure. Why not that or he directed, um, I think it was Little Matchstick Girl, maybe. Kate McCann did it the previous October, 2013. Right. It was either that or it was Leopard and Ship. But he's like, so he's obviously like, an, an, like obviously super experienced and like very talented and like knows theatre and acting and everything inside out. But like a, a, a new director is a new director is a new director. How do you, how do you, how, how do you do that? Like how do you give it over to someone and like trust them to not yeah. fuck it up? I think it is that you have to trust them because you know you, sometimes you see and if they get it because you can see certain shows you go see and the, it's not that the direction is bad it's just they didn't get what the writer was trying to do yeah. and it's like the communication between the two wasn't there yeah. with Carl um, the minute we read Leopard and Chip he said, he, he said we were kind of wanted to ask him but it was Carl Shields and we hadn't done anything so we were like oh, we can't really ask him because he's so experienced so we did he said yeah put it on but he got it straight away because the style he chose to do it and he, he's been in so many of those monologue I hate calling them monologue plays but it's what everybody calls them you yeah. know so Carl has been in Terminus he's been in Howie the Rookie um, Pride of Parnell Street he's done a lot of those stylized monologue pieces and a lot of leperonship is that like they're individuals and then they just get sliced together and there's like one little bit where they talk other than that it's monologues so he was the perfect person and had the experience to go here but on the other hand I've given my stuff to people and they don't get it at all. And then it's not their fault, it's not yours. You just go, listen, uh, we're not really gelling here. And if we put this on, it's not going to go well for either of us, really. Yeah. And that can come for anything, like a short. It's more little snippets I've seen. Yeah. Like I've done a few things with colleges. And when you work with people in colleges, you have directors that you don't choose. They get chosen for you, just like you're asked to write the piece. So with that, it can be very hit and miss. It can work. Mm. But then other times, they just don't get what you were going for. Even though you do talk about the script and what you're going for their vision is completely different to yours right and f now going forward I'm very picky in regards to who I'd ask just because you want them to do it justice for both of you yeah you know you don't want it to go pear shaped 100% and what what about in terms of like um, as a writer I, I'm mainly familiar with your like theatre work do you are you in the like are you working on or have an interest in working on like film and TV or that kind of thing as well yeah I do um I, people like mates say, "Would you not write a film? You yeah. know, write a film. Would you not write a film? You know, get it in there. Your yeah, man can go see it." Um, I I love theatre at the moment, and I'm not looking to push into anything else. Yeah. I want to focus on theatre because with the company we're going well. I have a couple of projects that I'm working on, um, but I have a TV show that I've just finished the pilot of, um, so I sent that to my agent, and there's a few things looking at that, but that was something I just did for the crack. Yeah. When I was in college, I wrote a short story, which is kind of the first thing I wrote. We had to write, and I wrote mine like a script. And then the, fa the Derek Chapman was his name in Inchicore, and he said... Um, no, Derek. You know Derek yeah. Chapman? <coughs> and he said, uh, well, Lee, you know this is a script. And I was like, it has to be a short story. I said, all right. So I added a few he said, she said into the script. Then he encouraged me to write. And then I transferred that script into a short film. So I have, just to teach myself, yeah. you know, it was completely different writing for film. Um, so I have got that, and then I've started writing a book Really? Yeah. Wow. Not even to get it published, just to try it. Yeah. You know, to see if I could do it. Because I'm fascinated with different forms of yeah. literature and what you can do. So, obviously, plays, films. Um, I've started writing a lot of poetry lately. Wow. Same thing again, not like, you know, <laughs> Sylvia Platt, sitting there, you know, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> but just to try it and yeah. to toy around with the form. Yeah. And reading a lot more poetry, watching a lot more films and analysing them and then getting film scripts and reading them. So, it is something I do want to go into yeah but not for a while right to see how we get on in theatre for us because I haven't done anything really in theatre yet yeah that I want to do okay okay and w and so what about in terms of like uh, your like day to day writing habits or, or or not day to day like what are you someone who will write every day or do you do it in the morning do you have a thing or is it whatever is going um, I write every day uh, because I have to because if I don't I kind of feel a bit down or feel a bit weird and there's stuff going on in my head I sound like a serial killer there yeah. but if I can't, if my day is really busy, um, I can't write in the morning. Uh, I just can't. And I can't write in the day. Like when it's daylight out, I find it really hard to write. Okay. From doing seeds, you get a desk. And I started to try break that mould because before I'd always write at night. So once the sun went down, I'd go and I'd lock myself in my room and I'd write away. And I'd write until the mo until the sun came back up. Like some nights I'd be gone four or five hours. Um, 
eight hours, ten hours, you know, whatever it is. So that's why I really like the winter because it gets dark earlier. Right. So I can start writing at five o'clock and I can write until eight o'clock the following morning if I wanted to. Yeah. But in the summer, it gets bright at four in the morning and it gets dark at what, ten, half ten at night. Yeah. So I don't have as much time to write. So I've been trying to break it like, I lost my desk so I've been going to like coffee shops and stuff but they just kill your soul and I hate being one of those writers who's like, oh I'm in a coffee shop, you know, I'm going to take pictures of what I'm doing and let everybody yes. know yeah, yeah. that I'm productive, I'm writing in a Starbucks. Look what they wrote on my fucking cup. But, <laughs> I want to write. I'd love to write in a day. Yeah. And I'd love to have that time, but I just can't. My, it's like my brain is just, it's like, I feel like I'm missing something. So yeah. I'd go and walk around Dublin during the day or I'd go on a cycle to clear my head. Then I'd come home and I'd just, I'd write. It's, that's so interesting. Like, and do you think that that, because, do you think that that has something to do with like, the fact that like of the like work of yours that I've seen like it does have like that dark like it's dark like it, the work is dark yeah, it is, yeah. I'm not trying to be like such a basic bitch analysis of it here but no like, but it is it's dark is there something to that that like you connect that with that um, I don't know like, you write, write, day, write a dark. children's book I, <laughs> yeah I write a children's book right at night everybody dies <laughs> I was that writing in the day I actually wrote a thing like a kids TV show like pilot that I was asked to it's like an audition for it or whatever, and they paid me to write the script, but that yeah. was weird. Yeah. I wrote that during the day. Right. Because I wrote it for kids. I can't even remember what it was called. It was all in rhyme. God. You know, it's like Susie walks to the shop, Susie gets a glass of pop, or whatever. I don't know. That's not what it is. Yeah. No wonder I didn't get picked. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're really dark, but they're dark because I like, I think humor and sadness go hand in hand. And yeah. I think I always like to make my stuff kind of really fast and funny at the beginning. But there's always an undertone of darkness that the audience can kind of sense, mm-hmm. hopefully. And then it gets to a point where we just go, oh, fuck, nobody's laughing anymore. You know, and you just hear silence in yeah. the theatre. Yeah. So you can hear, like, people laughing their heads off at something that's really crude and really funny. But um, at the two, two, three pages later, just nobody laughing. And I don't know if it comes from writing at night. I just really like dark material. Like, anything I would, like, the writers I like are incredibly dark. Um, any of the playwrights that influence me would be incredibly dark. Any of the films I like, um, books that I'd read, you know, all the music I like. Mm. Well, music maybe not, mm. but it would all have that dark tone because I think it's something that, um, if you can do it right, it's it's magic. If you can make something funnier than it is heartbreaking, you know, it's like comedians that tell really crude jokes. Sometimes they're absolutely hilarious, but you're like, why am I laughing at this? You know, I do like that but then push them off the cliff and they can't laugh anymore. Yeah. So that's, is that the question? Yeah, no, no, I get you. And so like what, in terms of then like, and then going back to that say relationship that you have with directors and like specifically the most recent thing years I saw was Murder Crows when it remounted the project, right? Yeah. And really liked it. Genuinely thought it was brilliant. Like for example, because like one of the things that I thought was so great about that, about the production as a whole, was then like within the writing, all like the nuances that like you obviously had like a fucking great cast together for it. Yeah, and like cast. But like for say like Ash, Amelia, or Katie, whoever it might have been, and like the way then they inhabited, because like for people who who didn't get the chance to see it this time around, like there's it's one of them plays where like the girls are playing it like two, three, four different characters. They play three characters, yeah, yeah, which is amazing, and like they did such a good job, like where. Like, do, when you go into rehearsals, like, how many of the rehearsals do you attend and how much scope is there for you to go, oh, well, no, that character doesn't, I don't think sounds like that, or, like, do you kind of back yeah. off? Yeah, I'm not, because, um, obviously, there's writers out there that are really pedantic and really picky about their stuff. I am if I don't trust the director, but with Carl, or another director I trust or whatever, I wouldn't be in, I'd be there for the first couple of days. So we'd read the script, um, and then when they start getting on his feet, I'd leave, I'd go, and then I'd come back, I'd drop in every couple of days. Cool. Or if they need to contact me, like say, Lee, this, this scene isn't working. Like, you know, we need you to come in. I'd go in, have a look at it, see what's wrong, fix it, and then I'd leave again. And then all the tech would be there um, to see it. But I'm not one that, like, once I hear the script and I know it works, I'm happy to walk away for a bit and drop in. I wouldn't be there every single day. I know writers that do want to be there every day because they want to make sure that the writing's being, uh, you know, they're doing it justice. But as I said it kind of comes back to trusting the director and with Carl I know he if there's something wrong he's going to see it yeah you know and if there's something wrong with the writing he's going to see it um, stuff with the characters and building the voices of the lads and all that that was a collaborative thing between Carl and the girls and I was there for bits of it and we're you go into Carl and Carl kind of goes here we, we, watch, watch this and then we'll do a run of what we've done so far and it's I've always loved it you know because it's always enhanced what I've taught yeah that's why I don't direct my own stuff 
because I would probably only see it one level. I'd see what I wrote. But if you give it to somebody else that you trust, they can take this level and add another two levels to it. Mm. Along with the actors. Yeah. Because you're not in there interfering, so you kind of give them free reign on your work. Yeah, it's interesting, like, that, like, I was talking about this with somebody the other day, about, like, that, as in, I love, particularly, like, I, I love Marco Rowe, I particularly love, like, his newer stuff, like, The Approach, and, yeah. um, the, uh, gosh, what was the one, uh, in the, Few and Evil Days? Yeah, like, yeah. I particularly love them, and, like, Conor McPherson would be my favourite writer, and what's interesting about them, I think, is, like, that they've kind of gone through that evolution of, like, feel like I, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not sure but I think at the beginning of their careers they more handed the scripts off and as they've gone on now they're more like no I'm I'm, I'm directing I'm it. directing it too yeah. I'm, I'm bringing this the whole way what do you think that's about um, I think Conor McPherson he w- was always very hands on I think he directed a few of his earlier plays Probably, as well yeah yeah I think he might have directed The Good Thief or uh, Roman Volkett I think was his first one I think he might have directed that when they were in UCD yeah I think you're right Um, and then when he got picked up by was it The National I think and they did St. Nicholas with uh Brian Cox yeah the first one and then after that he wrote um, oh what's his play The oh, Weir The Weir yes yeah. thank you um, I spoke actually I got kind of to know Marco Rowe uh, randomly just through Carl and he came to see uh, Leopard and Chip and I got to know him and we kind of keep in touch yeah. so if I have like if I need advice I'd ring him or I'd text him and we'd meet up which is really surreal um, or we'd have the you know just we'd have I'd met, run into him the odd time we'd have a point yeah like just randomly out which is good good crack and he's done a few post show talks with us and stuff but he told me about it because my second play we did a play called Peruvian Voodoo in theatre upstairs um, and I directed it but I directed it because I had nobody else and when I said it to him because I rang him to see if he would like do you know anybody obviously not him but like somebody else and then when I told him I directed he was like well fucking done man how, well, he goes it took me years to realise that I should direct my own work when I asked him how come you did and he said well I was tired of seeing people fuck it up I was tired of coming in and going, that's not how that's supposed to be. And why are they doing that? And that's not what that line means. And he was he, he was really sick of it. So then he started to direct his own stuff. And that's how he fell into it. Mm. Um, and I think I do want to direct my own stuff eventually. But right now, I kind of just want to write it and watch directors direct. Yeah. Because I don't know anything about directing necessarily. I just kind of know from, you know, just sitting beside somebody and just taking it in by osmosis or what is osmosis, whatever they call it. Yeah. Um, so like I'd sit in odd times and just watch Carl and how he's directing or um, like when we had did the fringe we did from all sides of the fringe I'd be sitting in with Aaron and I'd just watch Aaron direct and he's completely different to Carl because every, every director has their own style and what they want it to be so I think I'll, I'll watch more until it gets to the point where I'll say okay I think I'm ready again to direct something on my own um, because I've kind of been lucky in the sense that I haven't had any of my plays really messed up yeah but, like all the ones I've put on professionally haven't been fucked up at all. Yeah, yeah. I've loved the direction because I've had Carl Shields directed one. I directed the other. That could have been the one I fucked up. Um, Jetta Debris directed Slice the Thief in Smock and then Aaron Monaghan and Carl Shields. So, you know, those three directors are brilliant. So I haven't had any complaints, you know, so I hope long may it continue. Yeah. When, when you, sa- you said earlier that <coughs> when I was asking about like film and TV and stuff like that yeah. and you said, I'm happy in theatre now and you said something along the lines of... Because I haven't got to do the things I want to do, which I obviously mean. I know that doesn't mean like you haven't, you're not, you don't like what you've got to do. But what yeah. are those things that going forward you do want to achieve on the stage? Um, I want to. Well, I'm not doing one of these to go. Oh, I want to play the big stage. I want to do this. I want to uh, continue writing work and have a funded company. Like everybody's looking for funding, and obviously it's starved at the minute. But what I want to do on stage, I want to. Um. It's a tough question. <laughs> like yeah. What do I want to do without sounding like it, an arsehole? Um, I want to write plays that you're not struggling to get put on or to get funding. I'd like to be... Com- I've been commissioned uh, by a, a couple of companies, which is great. Um, it'd be great to be com- commissioned for like a big-scale production Yeah. because um, that's something I'd love to do. But it's something I don't know I'm ready for just yet because I'm learning it. Because everybody's learning. Like I'm not going to say, oh yeah, I can write a main stage Abbey show. Yeah. I'd probably make an arse of it at the moment because I'm I'm working with three, four actors max. So if you jump to the scale, you need to write 12. Like what, what are you going to do? You don't have that in your capability. It's all about just working out almost. I want to get better. I want to work with different actors. Try, play around with styles and kind of do something that I haven't seen is what I want to do. Because I'm sick of seeing stuff and going, oh, I would have done that. Mm. or I would have done that I love seeing things that I go oh I never would have done that yeah. I never would have thought of that yeah. where it's playing around with form playing around with style because I love talking to the audience love it 
So like with Mortar Crows, it blends talking to the audience with monologues, um, with scenes. Like a lot of Mortar Crows are scenes. But if you watched it because it's all directed out, it's completely different. And the one that I'm working on now is different again. There's a lot of chorus work with actors creating the scenes of the environment we're in as opposed to sound effects um, or sound design. It's like that kind of stuff is what I want to do. So mm. if I, when I say like I haven't done anything yet, it doesn't mean like I want a national tour or I want an international tour and have my stuff put on all over the world or go to the West End or whatever you want to do. I want to go win a Tony. It's not that kind of stuff. I want to do something that nobody's doing or nobody's seeing. I want to excite people mm. and I want people to want to come to see my shows because I hate the whole term you're emerging. Like how long can you be emerging for? You know, mm. you kind of want someone just to give r- young writers a shot and go here, come on. Try it on a not a big scale as in as I said like the main stage of the Abbey, but try it in a big venue mm. like the Peacock or places like that. Yeah. Um. So that's what I want to do. Yes, we. Because publishing and all that doesn't really interest me. Yeah. Like I have my scripts. I don't really care if people if people want them they can mail me and I'll send them to them happily. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of people do that. So I just want to play around with form and structure and see it sounds so wanky, doesn't it? I want to play around with form. I want to play around with structure. Yeah. I just want to do something nobody's done and nobody's seen. Because you know the way, like, Marco Rowe, Conor McPherson, they kind of paved the way for these different types of plays. And then Ender Walsh, mm. he paved his own way with Disco Pigs. So you kind of want to do something that people don't say, oh, well, they're just another blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah. Oh, they're trying to do a mammoth on that, aren't they? Yeah. He's like, no. Like, what I want to do is be the first, just be me. I don't want to be like anybody else. And by doing that... Uh, not create a new form of theatre, obviously you're not going to do that, but create a style, like your own style. Yep. That's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sweet. that's what excites me. Nice. Failing with that. You know, because obviously when you try it out on its feet, you're like, oh, because we did from all sides, it was kind of playing with scenes and and playing with flipping the script back in itself and showing the audience bits they've seen from a male perspective and then with a female and just constantly flipping it and messing with them. Stuff like that excites me. Mm. Give people stuff they haven't seen before. Yeah, nice one, man. Right, let's give it a spin. Yeah, that was long-winded, wasn't it? <laughs> it was good, though. I, 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 I was pushing it. Right, uh, here we go. Number 11, do you have it? I don't. No worries. Number 11. The question is, uh, do you have a role model? Um, Anybody at all? Yeah. Um, Professionally or personally? I mean, it, it, either, I, either either. Does something come to mind first? Um, well, yeah, like, there's a few people, like, personally, it's like me nan. Um, just because the life she had and how she raised all her kids, you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, she get really deep here. She was, uh, I think she was thirty eight when my granddad died, and she had ten kids. Whoa. Yeah, and this was nineteen sixty one too, so she raised them all herself, and I think she lost two or three at that stage as well. well. But the stories you hear from back then, like she she couldn't work because she had all the kids, and she couldn't get a job. Like obviously, um, but then she ended up getting one in Dublin Castle and trying to raise 10 kids while working in <laughs> Dublin Castle and doing all that and where she came from um, and the life she ended up leaving and all of her kids grew up and she had something like fucking 20 great-grandkids and whatever great-great-grandkids when she died and she had the biggest family that loved her like she was probably the biggest role model because like whatever life kind of throws at you you just kind of keep going yeah. you don't sit there and whine about it you go alright yeah this is shit what am I going to do about it nobody else is going to help me like she tells used to tell us stories about going down to the missions and the nuns turning their way like because she had no food and like the nuns saying no get out of here or trying to get help from like family members and people wouldn't help like you know she was like well what the fuck am i supposed to do <laughs> i'm a single parent with 10 kids it's 10 or 8 8 maybe yeah still a lot jesus absolutely yeah, so she would probably be my biggest role model yeah personally Amazing. Just because everybody loved her. When when did she die? She died in 2012. So you would have known her really well then? Oh, yeah. Um, And we all... She lived in a little flat down in Kevin Street. And she lived there her whole life. And she lived on her own until she was 86. And then she had a fall. And then uh, she was sick. But when we had the funeral, we had to put the coffin in through the window. (laughs) Because it wouldn't fit through the halls of the flats. So we had to open the window. Lucky she was on the bottom floor. And we wheeled her in through the window. Or pushed her in. And then we laid her out there. And we went, you know, way for street church. Yeah. Um, our funeral was in there. I remember standing up and we turned around and it was black. Like you couldn't get it. The church was rammed. And that kind of showed, you know, the kind of woman she was because everybody knew her. Yeah. Just knew her as Mrs. Whelan. So, yeah, five years now. Jesus. 
It's amazing. Mad. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of then, it feels stupid to ask this now after that, but in terms in terms of career, it, like... um, Yeah, be writers like um, Marco Rowe. Um, Marco Rowe would probably be the biggest. Yeah, well, especially I think when you get to know someone personally then, it just elevates it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and how he talks about writing and what he sees it as, as the craft of it. Um. Which is kind of when he when he said it, I was like that's exactly how I think about it. And so what he, did he? What's that? Like so he said to me like um well remember he said he was I was, I was chatting to him I was like when did you actually start to write? And he's like well I left uh, school he goes I wasn't doing anything he got like a jobs bridge thing and he learned how to type he was doing a typing course so he said he types like a you know a, a whiz and he said he didn't start writing until he was twenty six or something like that which is quite late um well it's not no it's not quite late uh I started when I was twenty four. Um, but he says the way he approaches it is he doesn't do it because he wants to he does it because he has to you know like and he's like oh, I think he said to me he's like I write on Christmas day he goes I go away with my wife and I write in the day like, I'll get up that morning I'll write and then she knows then I'm good to go for the rest of the day because if I don't I don't feel right I feel like there's something off and I kind of think that way as well like even if I can't write something like with a pen and paper which is how I do it is it? yeah I have to write pen and paper I can't type right i just i'm not a fast typer and it slows you down i think mm. like i can't type as quick as my brain is gone yeah but i can write as quick as it goes but if i'm out i just go i'll write something and i take out my phone which is a complete contradiction to what i just said because i haven't got anything else and i'd write something on my phone yeah just to keep my brain ticking and how he talks about writing is exactly how i feel about it right i do because i feel like if i didn't i go mad like even if i didn't put anything else on again in the world i'd still write yeah because I need to and that's what and also how his career has gone like he's constantly changing and playing around with stuff and paving a new way for writers and like you can do this if you want to like Howie the Rookie you know and then Terminus then changing the style and like as you said the approach or a few evil days he's completely changed from where he's been because obviously he's playing around more with dialogue and scenes now but the the way he's, his career has gone I'd love that trajectory for mine I'd love to because I've started off with monologues a lot of writers do because obviously it's easier to get on and it's cheaper. Yeah. Um, but the way he writes, like especially Howie the Rookie, because nobody's seen anything like that. So you kind of go, I'd love, and that's what I'd love, that's what I'd like to do. Yeah. Write something that people go, fuck, I haven't seen that before. That's new. And that's what excites me and that's why I do it. Because you're constantly looking for that. Like, what's your favourite play? The one I'm writing at the minute. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so yeah. Th- those other ones are written, they're gone. Exactly. So, you know? Yeah. And when this one's written, what's your favourite one? The one I'm writing at the minute. Because you get a chance to do something new. Try to push yourself and challenge yourself. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he would be the best. Yeah, sweet man. Right, let's give it a spin. All right, here we go. Uh, number 36. Do you have it? I don't. No worries. Number 36. How do you feel about being the age you currently are now? Um, Yeah, I feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. Some Do I have to tell me age? Only if you want to. Um, yeah, I'm 29 now. Um, Went 29 December. I had this conversation with someone the other day because people go mad about their age. like Especially actors because actors hide their age. Yeah. I was chatting to my friend and it's a friend I know and they, they hide their age and they don't tell anybody and they always do the thing well, well what age do you think I am? It's like well do you want me to insult you now and say you look 40? Yeah, there's no good answer to that. There's like, not. No. When I know you're in your mid-twenties or do you want me to say you look 19 so you've you know oh th- you're so lovely because um, I'm happy with the age I am because I always think oh why didn't I start writing younger or why didn't I start doing what I wanted to do younger and you go well then you wouldn't be writing about the same things you're writing about now because you don't have that life experience and you haven't lived Um. So I really enjoy it. Mm. And people say, oh, Jesus, Torty's looming. It's like, yeah, good. It's going to loom for everybody. And some people don't get to see Torty, you know? That's a fucking great attitude. They're gone by the time they're fucking 20. Yeah. Like, you're either here or you're not. Like, age doesn't really matter. It's like, am I on this earth? Yeah, grand. I'll live. <laughs> Whoa, that's fucking... Is that deep? Yeah, but in a f- <laughs> I just, I'd like, like, that's such an obvious thing in a way. I've never thought of it like that. Like, I don't think about... It's funny, um... John Butler, you probably know, you d- did that movie Handsome Devil and the Stag. Yeah. He's a writer and I director. I listened to that. the one you did. Yeah, yeah, he's great. But he said that he's like, do you not think about death all the time? And I was kind of like, I, I don't, I don't. Really? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I do a lot. Yeah. Um, but not in a bad way, like, oh God, well, whoever's up there, I'm going to die. You kind of go, I'm going to die. So it makes you do so- do stuff. Yeah. Kind of makes you want to, like, oh, I feel really guilty with sitting around doing nothing. I can't do it I always go oh what did I do with my day today it's like oh well you went on a walk or you went on a cycle I'm like yeah but that's fucking shit <laughs> you know look, what did I do today that I could actually if I died today people would go Jesus leaving on that walk yesterday <laughs> you know what I mean yeah but if you say if you wrote something that was really good and they found it 
it's something that kind of lives on yeah that like you leave you leave words behind that someone can actually have I think it was a, a Charles Bukowski said that he was like he was like um, someone said oh well didn't um, he spoke about a writer and he said he was shit and he goes well didn't he die from alcoholism and he goes so he goes dying of alcoholism doesn't mean you're any good he goes you need to leave some words behind some good ones because if you don't what the fuck's the point yeah and it's like I love people that are blissfully unaware not, I'm not talking about you because yeah. you are because like, you're an artist and you're a writer so you do think about it you just oh, yeah. don't think about it on your day to day but there are people that go about their day to day jobs and they just work in a Tesco and they're happy you know just yeah. going about their day to day they don't think of anything bigger well then there's a lot of people that do and I think that's what keeps you going yeah yeah, it, it didn't know. I was. I think about this all the time because um, and we, <laughs> uh, even talking to a friend the other day about like even people in just like life, life when you're like interacting with someone on the street or like at work, whatever it might be, and you're like, this, like, what is it about this person that just like grinds my gears? Like, and it's like sometimes it <laughs> yeah. is that thing. They're like, <laughs> this. It's a weird thought, but it's like what you're saying. Like they're blissfully unaware, and like sometimes you're like, do you know what you're lacking? Like as a person, you're lacking a bit of like fucking anxiety. Like <laughs> yeah. you don't, you don't, you're not stressed about anything. You're not stressed about nothing, and it's stressing me out. Yeah, <laughs> like, and I'm I'm stressed because you're not stressed. So would you get stressed at me? So yeah, we could just sit here and be stressed together, and we can share our stress. Because people that suffer with like they're so anxious, but it's because they're obviously it can go to the, the wrong end of the spectrum. Um. But I would love to be one of those people sometimes. Oh, me too. That you could just go to your job and pack, stack shelves and go home and relax and not think about, fuck, what did I do today? Did I do anything good on this day I had? Because <laughs> they're getting shorter by the minute. Yeah. I'm getting very deep here, Tom. We are. Well, let me make it deeper. What what, what do you what do you think about, like, when you, like, what, like, what place does, like, your, like, head, and I don't, I, I sorry, I'm having this real battle at the moment about like, uh, like about. <laughs> I was just literally said in the last podcast that pe- sometimes people describe this podcast to me as a mental health podcast, which is not what I think of it as. Yeah. I think of it as like, you know, personality bingo. We're just chatting and we're getting to know people. I suppose like, in, inherently like mental health and like your personality, I guess, inform each other. Like, what way do do you feel like your like whatever little anxieties or like mental health things that you might have inform like your writing or not? Um. Well, there's always death in the work like always okay in some way shape or form because I think it's one of the traits that we all share we all have somebody that dies belong to us right. and I think it's one of the common threads of being a human we all lose people and I kind of like because you know you say oh I went to see that but it wasn't really for me I didn't really get it you know oh it was it was about um, middle class docky I don't know that area so how could I um, associate myself with it and attach myself and believe in these characters but everybody can believe in that because we all have people that we lose regardless if you're a king or if you're the fucking joker you know we all lose people so I think little bits like that I try to put in or I love testing people to how I love looking at the audience and seeing what they like and what they don't like and I love seeing what offends people not because I'm trying to offend but you know you could say something and someone goes I can't believe you said that you're like why I and it's so that's one of the things I'm big on I don't like people that are too PC because every joke is a t- is told at the expense of somebody else. Yeah, that's what makes it a joke. You know, like there's jokes about us, there's jokes about being Irish, there's jokes about being black, there's jokes about being Jewish. What makes them funny? They're not racist. Like some of them are obviously. Yeah. Some of them are complete bigotry. Yeah. But some of them are just jokes at the same time. And I like to put in stuff that pushes the boundaries of that, that gets people thinking. Go, oh, that was really offensive. Why? Is it offensive because you just happen to find it offensive? Well, the other seventy nine people are laughing. So it's stuff like that and death. <laughs> They're the two things that I try put in from my own uh, idea. Yeah. Because I like crude humour. Like, there's nothing anybody can say that would offend me. Right. Ever. Yeah. Un- unless it's said, like, you know, if someone slags your ma. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. But there's nothing somebody could say about a particular topic that I go, oh my God, you shouldn't have said that. It's free speech. Everybody can say whatever they want. Once you're not being a bigot. You know, I hate bigotry. Yeah. But you can tell a joke. What is it about why do you think because I, I, I completely understand like death is the one thing that we all have in common because yeah. like, it's going to happen no matter, no gonna, matter what nobody can get away from it no they're always co- it's coming for you and like is it, it, it so I, I get that as well is it something that you've experienced in your life Dis- death yeah um, I haven't had a lot of people die on me which just means I have more people that are going to die on me doesn't it <laughs> um, 
forever the optimist. Oh, your 30s are going to be great, man. Oh, they're going to be great. You know, people <laughs> dropping like flies. I might check out myself. Um, it be easier. Yeah. But, uh, so, my nan um, yeah. and my uncle Joe are the only two people in my family that have passed away. Interesting. It's just interesting that it's that it's that small, you know, comparatively. Yeah, you'd swear, like, if you went to see me plays that everybody's dying left, right and centre and I'm an orphan. Yeah. And I have nobody in my life. That's kind of what I was getting at, yeah. I know. But no, I've had a really nice upbringing. You know, my family are great. They're all mostly alive. Yeah. So there's only two people that I've lost, but they really kind of hit the family. Yeah. So seeing that and seeing how it affects people um, is why... Because especially my nan, because there was she kind of held the family together, yeah. And then when she passed, everybody kind of scars. Really, yeah. You know, because it's that nucleus that everybody's. You know, it's, that's what you need. Yeah. In every family, there's always the matriarch, um, and the. But I've had like friends die on me, or like friends of my family and my friends' parents. So seeing how people react and seeing how it gets people, because it gets everybody. I think that's something that. Fa- not fascinates me death you know death doesn't fascinate me but as it's something that i think we all associate with life and we can all connect it mm. so it's something that i like to put in yeah because it makes everybody feel everybody can relate to it yeah yeah in some way shape or form even if they haven't had anybody die their friend you know their cousins you know i don't know they could have somebody that knows somebody that's died everybody's been to a funeral haven't they oh 100 you know yeah. everybody's been to a funeral yeah and um i think that's something everybody can relate to yeah sweet right let's, let's give it a spin go for it uh, okay uh, number 60 do you have it no no worries number 60 um, uh, but, 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 uh, if you were to have a child would you bring them up with religion no 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 Um, I like I was brought up was sure were you as well yeah brought up Catholic yeah Um, and it's, a, it's, it's kind of the way I feel about um people pushing like stuff on their kids like, but then the same thing like should the kid be given a chance to find religion even though I'm not religious I more disagree with the Catholic Church and what they stand for as opposed to like I love what religions preach you know mm. be nice to other people and they'll be nice to you and I love that as a, you know that mentality and just that's a good philosophy to have in life but I think there's too much corruption and I don't know where we go after this so I'm not going to push some fake deity that I don't really believe in on, a, on my son or daughter yeah because I don't know what happens after this. And that's the whole point. You know, there's, I think there's something. But I don't know what it is. If if I have a kid and I raise it, and then at 15, they're like, Dad, I want to I wanna become a Catholic. And I want to, you know, go get uh, baptised. And I want to do like, Okay. If that makes you happy, you go and you do it. But I'm not I'm not going to force that on my kid. It's like, same thing if I, if I had a son. And uh, at the age of 16, he said, Dad, I, um, I feel like I'm a woman. I'd be saying, okay, let's let's do this, you know. It, it, but I wouldn't like people to force stuff on their kids when they're young. I'm gonna raise my kid gender neutral, you know, from such a young age. Like the kid doesn't know anything, so why are you pushing all this on a child who hasn't got an idea of anything? Yeah. So you could actually mess it, mess the kid up. But if the kid grows up themselves in an environment that you create that's full of love and happiness, and then decides to make these decisions, yeah, of course, I love you, and you're my son, you're my daughter. Whatever makes you happy makes me happy regardless of what you want to do you know yeah Um. so that's the same way I feel about religion I wouldn't force on anybody yeah because I think it's toxic it can be yeah it can but, be but it can also be you know solace and it can help a lot of people yeah there's, the, there's both sides of it isn't it yeah like I mean it's interesting you, you were talking about it, <laughs> we are talking about death a lot but fuck it a lot uh, what, 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 you said you don't know what happens when we die obviously because I mean no one fucking knows no one yeah do you have a hunch that there's nothing there yeah <laughs> I don't know Um, I think there's too much energy to go nowhere yeah like, I don't believe that somebody's there all of a sudden and then they're gone like where's all that energy gone and who they were I think it goes somewhere but I don't think it goes to the clouds with a load of little cherubs with fucking harps singing yeah. me lovely songs about St. <laughs> Paul's letter to the Corinthians <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> I don't believe in that yeah Um, but I think there's something because I people say they see ghosts or there's some sort of supernatural element to the world mm. haven't seen anything and I don't want to um, but it doesn't mean I don't think it's there yeah that's an interesting thing actually like in like Irish theatre and like just I, I, I know where like if you ghosts yeah I mean talking about like McPherson, Rena Carr like uh, Marco Rowe Marco Rowe yeah yeah like that's an interesting what do you, what, what's even separate from writing and to do it writing but like what's your do you 
believe in ghosts? Have you, you haven't seen anything, but do you, what, when people tell you they have, what do you think? I'm interested in it and I want to know what they saw or what they think they saw. Yeah. Because, you know, we've all woken up at, say, three in the morning and you're kind of in between and it's that haziness and you think you see something and then you wake up and there's nothing, you know? Yeah. It's like a coat at the, at the back of the door. Yeah. We've all seen, like, something. So is it that some people believe in that more? Whereas I would just go, oh, that was my eyes playing tricks on me. But then I've had people really close to me who would be complete cynics and they're like, no, I saw, I saw a ghost. My, my friend swears that a ghost came in and pulled the cover off him. And I was like, all right. And what happened? He's like, just walked out of the room. <laughs> I was like, so this ghost came into the room, just reefed off the cover and left. And he's like, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Didn't know what to do. Yeah. So I do believe, I love hearing these stories because I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. And I love watching and hearing ghost stories off, you know, the, the things on the telly. When you're a kid and you watch that, was it? Are you afraid of the dark? Yeah. Oh, I fucking love that. Do you know that show? Yeah. And they sit around and the campfire. The campfire and they tell ghost stories. Nickelodeon, yeah. Yeah, it's great. And I love being scared. And you get the, the tingles down your spine. Yeah. But I haven't seen it and I don't really want to. So if there's nothing listening, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to wake up tonight and find someone at the bottom of my bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big fuck, can't we? You said some personality bingo, Lee. Yeah. We heard. We heard you. Yeah. Big fans of Tom Morris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, number three, do you have it? Nope. No worries. Uh, can you tell us uh, about a memory that comes to mind uh, that still makes you laugh when you think of it? Um, ah, oh Jesus. It doesn't have to be a good story, just something that... Uh, uh, some are probably too crude to tell. <laughs> uh, oh, nothing too crude for this podcast. <laughs> no, no, I won't tell because when people listen, they think I'm a scumbag. <laughs> um, yeah, I think of one. Yeah. yeah. Um. Years ago, we decided to set up a football team in in the flats because we didn't have one and there was none around. There's no fields around. Like, where the fuck are you gonna play football? You know. Where were you? Do you grow up in flats? I grew up in uh, Kevin Street. Okay. And then we man down moved to Tallet. Right. And then moved out there, and then I moved back in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I could. So um. But growing up there, we ended up um. My dad decided. My dad decided to set up a football team. That was nothing about football. But we got all the kids down of a million different ages. We never could have been a football team, and we were. Going to set it all up, but then my little sister came running down and she fell in the playground. But there was all like loose stones on the ground, and one of them got stuck right in the middle of her eyes. Um, and it was wedged there, yeah. And we just heard this scream, and we turned around, she was running around, and there was a big stone <laughs> embedded in her forehead. I think she was three, three or four. Oh my god, and my dad had to bring her to the AE and they had to get the doctor to remove the stone from her. Just above the bridge of her nose, like just there. Oh my god! Right in between her eyebrows, she looked like Frida. <laughs> no, he's like. Then the football team was no more because everybody had to leave, and then we had to go to the A and E, my little sister. And then they, I remember she, um, she came out and she had it in a, a vial. <laughs> She's like, "This is the stone." They gave it to her and left her off. That's so funny. I don't know why that does make me laugh when yeah. I think about it. Yeah, falling over mine is someone falling over as well. It's always someone falling. Yeah. Like once it's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this was just to be a teacher in school and like my friend, again, football, someone falling. We were playing football in the yard and like the ball, just like someone misplaced a pass and it was just rolling so slowly. But this teacher, she had a really bad limp. Like uh, just a limp that like, <laughs> as in like, it wasn't a limp. It was like, she had to go like a, like a foot out of her way. Like her foot to come up and around herself. It was mad. And like, it was just... And like her foot was coming up and around, up and around, and like the ball and her were just kind of, and like the foot came up and around and onto the ball, and, and she kind of went forward the ball to go back over the ball, you know that way, oh. and she just she fell, and she was so embarrassed. like it was, oh, but it was very funny. That, or we I remember in college we had to do a dance, and we picked uh, what's the one with Kevin Bacon and um, Footloose, yeah, and it was one of lad, and we were just doing a dance, and he tried to run up the wall, and he ran up the wall, and he was trying to flip back, but he ran up the wall and just stopped, and just fell flat <laughs> down on his back. <laughs> And he didn't like we didn't know he was gonna do it. He just did it in the middle of the exam. He just ran up the thing and just fell. And then we had to pick him up and then look at everybody else and just get back into Footloose. Like it never even happened. Wow. Oh, it was hilarious. Wow, wow. He's mid forties as well. Gas. Oh, it was hilarious. Bow move. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you mentioned Derek Chapman. Jer- Derek used to do some voice work with us in. I went to DIT to the ah, drama cool. thing there, and uh, yeah, he's an amazing man. Isn't he? Yeah. He's fascinating. I, I do meet him rec- uh, the, the odd time. He lives up on Leonard's Corner. Yeah. Because um, he had a heart attack and he was really ill. But then now he's back and he's fit and he's cycling around. But he said he can't go to theatre shows. Really? Because he has a uh, like a pacemaker. And he said sometimes the sound from the speakers, if he doesn't know the venue, can set it off. And he has to reset it and go to the hospital. Really? Yeah. It's weird. It's like if he's going to have a heart attack, it goes to this box and neutralises so it doesn't get to his heart. Wow. Which is fascinating. Yeah. 
but then he has to go back to the hospital and get recessed so he can't go to theatre anymore that's such a pity because he's a man who's like talk about someone who's had a fucking career oh god yeah played all the big parts all the big parts like he he also was Daniel Craig's voice coach or something weird when he was starting off really yeah and he um, what, what did he, he th- um, I think he came from Pierce Street yeah but if you hear him talk he oh. talk like come on he's like something out Downton Abbey yeah you know he's so posh yeah but I said it to him he's like oh I, I didn't like how I spoke so I changed it he's like you can change it if you want yeah and he's fascinating he hard really as nails yeah great director yeah yeah he was very cool very cool dude really a lot of time from he'd be great actually to do this podcast wouldn't he you should get him on yeah I wonder what he do it yeah I'll he, ring him and ask him he might do it he would um, right number 12 do you have it nope no worries number 12 the question is uh, do you ever wish you were born as the opposite gender um um yes and no um obviously like what's going on at the moment is horrible uh, you know with uh, equality and I, I don't know if I'd like to be on the opposite side of that like which sounds so selfish yeah, doesn't it yeah um but I'd be interested to know what my work would be like if I was a woman mm. or would I do the exact same thing you know what could I say what what would I think what would my circle of friends be like what would my family be like I think of it more as that side what yeah. would I be like socially if I was a woman what kind of man would I be attracted to Tom if I was a woman yeah you know yeah <laughs> um, I think of it more like that but then at the same time you go it's incredibly difficult at the minute obviously waking the feminists and a lot has to change um, I don't know if I'd be strong enough to take all that on because I think as a man you kind of get away with a lot of a lot more Um, we always have so I don't think I'd am I saying am I used to that privilege which is horrible to say but you know as a man obviously you have a lot more privilege Um, but I'd love to I'd love to see what I was like I'd love to try it and be <laughs> if I was a woman yeah it's such a tough question it is it's weird like to the thing I always think of is because uh, th- th- it's all great points about yeah like that thing of because I think that's one of the big things people are like struggling with now like privilege is such a it is the right word for it because like a lot of men you know who are struggling with like seeing things changing yeah. and it's just like because like they always like it's a really useful way of thinking it is like the privilege um, for those who have been privileged like equality feels like losing your like it does when it's not it just means that there's going to be equality finally as opposed to it always being inequal you know, yeah, so it's it, always been e- unequal yeah exactly always. so like yeah equality feels like inequality because you were used to like yeah. way too much yeah it's like what they're picking three male writers and three female writers that's fucking disgraceful it's like it's equality yeah. you know you have to do it yeah. because it's not fair the way it is Yeah. Um, but the way it's changing now would I like to be a female writer I don't know because I haven't had that experience. I've experienced it often being a male writer. Yeah. And I love that it's changing. And all my peers, all, everybody I know that writers I admire are all female. I think there's two male. Yeah. That I would know. Yeah. You know? It's so true. I was thinking about that the other day. Like, even in terms of, like, young up-and-coming directors. Like, overwhelmingly. I Correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, overwhelmingly female. Yeah. I was uh, only saying to my friend, I couldn't. I could name probably two or three male directors. Max. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Isn't it mad? No, it's great. It's great, yeah. it's, but it's like it, like it. Uh, that 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 one is actually like weird because I'm like that, like and it, like I was saying this something the other day. Like I had like Louise Kiley and Eva Jane on, like casting another thing, like overwhelmingly female. It's really interesting to see. All like, the main casting directors are all of them: Maureen Hughes, Amy Rohn, Gillian Reynolds, Ali like, Coffee. Ali Coffee. The only one I can think of is Frank. Know these names from me made say Frank Yeah, I know. I can't believe they won't see me. Yeah. I can't even get in the room. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it's so funny how like those. Because, I mean, like, directors is obviously something that's, like, you know, probably been very male-dominated, I think. I don't know the stats behind it. But it's really interesting now. Like, there's been a total swing with that, you know what I mean? Yeah, and like, there has. It's very interesting. It is, because like, even when you go to, like, a teach... Not teach, but write a little bit in drama schools and predominantly female actors yeah. coming out. Like, there's probably three or four men in each class. Yeah. Easy. But then you get out into the industry and, like, the, all the others... I seem like a lot of designers, all the designers I work with are female. Yeah. All of them. We were saying that as well. Yeah. yeah, stage managers. Very few male stage managers. Very few. I, I couldn't actually name one. Yeah, I I know some like who are like you know I I know like two who are like properly like established. But in terms of, like people our age emerging, uh, like but you know what I mean. Like in terms of <laughs> yeah. in terms of like younger people at the beginning of their career, it's yeah, it's just really interesting how it how it transpires. So I'd like to see what it's like as a woman. Yeah, but I I think I'm quite happy how I am at the minute. Yeah, as a man. The only thing I'm like overtly jealous of is I think like the fact that men can't give birth 
think, yeah. think that'd be a trip. You don't have that connection. It would be a trip. Yeah. Sore trip. It's sore trip. But like uh, the connection thing, like yeah. I always think that like women have, uh, I don't know, I could be wrong, but like I, I have a hunch that like they would just have a stronger connection to like the child because they literally went through all that pain like for their sake. Yeah. And as well, when you're in a group of lads, like you don't really, I'd love to know what the kind of banter is like in a group of girls. Yeah. When you're also a girl. Yeah. You know, what do they talk about? What are them How, WhatsApp groups what, like? What yeah. are them WhatsApp groups like? What yeah. do they talk like? Are they, um, do they slag each other as much as men? Because like, obviously they can talk about their feelings a lot more. Yeah. Some men you talk about, what's wrong with you? Get over here. Yeah. It's like you can't talk properly. So maybe mentally it would be better to be a female. Yeah. Because you have more support around you. Because a lot of young lads are afraid to talk. Yeah, I, I think I, like I, 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 like I would be quite, I, I feel weird about that because I have like a lot of female friends and I'd be like, why? And it's because of that. Because I'm, I'm like very like emotional as a person. Yeah. I'm like quite comfortable with like emotional vulnerability, like relatively speaking, you know what I mean? And like, so like I veer towards female friends because I just associate that more with that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like even like if I look at like my mom versus my dad, like my mom is like a therapist. So she's very like aware of like, feelings and talking and like I, that sits very comfortably but at the same time like I fucking love like I'm going out to play football after this you know what I mean with a bunch of lads and not a thought about fucking oh, feelings great, yeah. it'll be about like running around and kicking lumps out of each other and that'll be great as well it. it's both sides of it though you know yeah because they're both good it is like I um, I have two sisters and my mum and my dad but then my whole family is predominantly female right so I've just been raised around women yeah so I, not that I'm emotional but I wouldn't have a problem saying how I feel yeah my dad is quite emotional. Yeah. Well, well not these emotional, but you could always go to him and talk to him about things. Sometimes I go to him and he's like, you all right? <laughs> you need to, you okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So then I'd go to my sisters and then talk to them and it's easier. Yeah. Same as, same as yourself, but then easily I'd go and I'd play football with a group of lads and I'd kick the shit out of everybody. Yeah. It's good. It's good to have both sides. They're both important. You need both sides. Yeah, you do. A bit of balance. Right, I think we have time for one more spin, so let's, go for let's it. do it. Uh... Okay, uh, last one out of the two. Number 47, do you have it? I don't. No worries, number 47. Oh, this is kind of a nice one to end. Happy or sad, whatever you want. Tell us about a moment in your life that you'll never forget. Oh, God. Either, either, either. Happy or sad, you'll never forget. Um, ah, fuck. That's a tough one. Yeah. Um, happy or sad that I'll never forget. Um... Oh Jesus, Tom! I don't. Uh, is it a bad one for you? Not that it's a bad one, but it's a tough one because yeah. there's so many. You're like happy or sad that you'll never forget. Um, any like when I say like w- like the most memorable thing, like if you were like if you were to die, let's bring it back to death because we're going to talk about that, right? Yeah. Uh, no, no, but like, and your life flashes before your eyes. Like, what is the one thing that you think would stick out out of that flash? Um. It's interesting when you look back and you're like, I wonder what it would be. I, cause yeah, I don't what know. is the pivotal moment in your life that you go, I will always remember that moment? Yeah. Like, is it your, like, because it could be it could be when your granny died, it could be your first kiss, it could be time you lost your virginity, it could be the time you first seen your work being put on stage, you know, it could be any of these things, you yeah. know. Oh, it's a virginity thing, Jesus Christ, I lost mine in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> to a Norwegian girl, and I don't remember anyway. Oh, that's gas. Were you locked? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then afterwards, like, I think our auntie came back and she kicked me out. And then I, as I left out, there was an African lady and she was a prostitute. And I ended up chatting to her. And then I ended up talking to her about how she got into prostitution. <laughs> I know. And then she started to cry. And then I started to cry. And then I was, her name was Becky. And I ended up hugging her and having like an hour long, heart to heart, with this woman. She came over from Nigeria. And then I gave her 10 euro. And I said, I need to get back because my friends are all going to be looking for me. And then I got lost for an hour and a half. Like, I got lost, and yeah. as I was walking into Spain, there was a, uh, <laughs> I put my hand out to pull a taxi, and I hit a fella on a moped, and this story sounds completely <laughs> made up, but then I ran, I continued to run further inland, when the ocean was just there, like in Spain, and then I heard something Spanish, and I turned around, and I got a punch across the face, and it was the fella on the moped, and he came back after me, and then I ran again, and I ran up a lane, no, first I ran to a guard car, and I was like, Will you help me? I'm a tourist. I'm lost. I don't know where I am. And they're like, yeah, no, no, I'll be English. I was like, you fucking pricks. So I kept running, found this fella in an alley, which in hindsight isn't the best thing. And I said it to him and he lifted up his top and he was a policeman. And he put me on the back of his moped and drove me back to the club where all my mates were. 
and I I pulled up and I was trying to give him a 50 quid or something. He's like, oh no, you're safe, it's grand. And I turned and all here was, hello Lee. And I turned and Becky was there. <laughs> the African prostitute that I'd been speaking to. And then all of her friends were around and I had the crack with them for about another half an hour. And then I went back into the club to be mates. Oh my God. And that, I swear on my nanny's grave, is 100% true. You're just workshopping the idea for your next play in front of me. <laughs> That's not a good idea for a play, is it? There's too much in there. Jeez. Nobody would believe that. No. That's not the moment I'd look back on in the regards to my life. But you were saying you That's sparked a- it off when you said you lost your virginity or whatever. I, I thought I thought we were going to go somewhere terrible. I thought you, you, you got kicked out of a Norwegian girl's flat and then you gave Becky a tenner. <laughs> like, you think it's going to go That's one where way. I thought it was going. No, we spoke about our feelings and we had a good cry. Good. Yeah. Jesus. I wonder where Becky is now. I die. Yeah. I hope she's back home and she's alive. Yeah. Because that would be... I know. Yeah. Man, that's a that's as good a way to end. Good a way to end it as, <laughs> end any. It as possible. Um, sweet man, look come here. Thanks for thanks for taking the time to do it. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great crack. Uh, deadly episode. Is there anything that you have um coming up or any like I always say it to actors more about like social media and stuff. But any things that you want to plug or talk about that we should keep an eye out for in the future? Um, no, we're gonna we have a big announcement coming soon with Bert like Lemon for uh, a play that we've been working on. Um, and hopefully the venue we secured is gonna be pretty big and it'll be great for us and. Um, really exciting so yeah keep your eyes out for that yeah brilliant yeah yeah you're you're you've all your you're on facebook and twitter and all that facebook so twitter bit yeah. Like lemon, yeah bit of like a lemon yeah sweet lee coffee thanks for playing thanks very much tom sweet So guys, that was Lee Coffee playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. A massive thank you to you, Lee, for taking the time to do it. Uh, I really appreciate it, and it was genuinely lovely to sit down uh, and have the chat. And um, we were going back and forth just about some things after the episode, and we just were like, "Yeah, we just talked so much, just like just hashtag death, really." But um, no, it was a really lovely chat, and um, I think people are always so surprised about what comes up on their episodes, which uh, I'm kind of always glad. I think people come on, I uh, think it'll be one thing, and often it is another one. So I think it's really nice that just the format and the numbers kind of like let a uh, kind of just lets the, the the format like surprise us which is is really 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 nice um, so Lee if you're listening thank you for taking the time to do it mate it was a pleasure uh, as I said guys we've got some great episodes coming out we have Aveen McCann um, currently in Assassins at the Gate go and check that out uh, we've also got Paddy Murphy uh, whose work you will know from the Facts Channel from Rory's Stories uh, and also from First Dates Ireland uh, in just the most charming little episode uh, and we talk all about that good stuff uh, yeah and as I said loads um, more good ones uh, lined up in the future and loads of people that I want to get in touch with about getting on the show as always if you have someone that you would like to be on this show let me know if you've got a contact for someone and um, whether that be you know someone that i know and um, someone uh, that is you know somewhat a uh, celebrity ish uh, or whatever that might be just someone who you think is really interesting and has a story to tell maybe i'm um, kind of outside of the demographic demographics normally of what I have on which is uh, kind of from within my circle of like uh, acting and music and comedy and all that good stuff um, but if you have someone that um, is outside that ballpark I'd be absolutely fascinated to hear who that might be um, so as always do get in touch I'm at tmore93 on Twitter and we're also at personal bingo and we've also got a uh, the Facebook page there which is personality bingo with Tom Moore and a few quick thank yous to uh, all the wonderful people that need to be thanked as always a massive thank you to the boss woman Erin Lindsay uh, for mixing editing and producing this podcast um, she's been an absolute dream and uh, you're going to hear a question uh, we've kind of been workshopping some new questions that we want to pop in over the next few weeks about kind of more um, current stuff uh, you know whether that be just kind of hearing where people are at with like you know the Me Too movement or like the repeal movement and just trying to get people um, to articulate what they're thinking about because all these things are challenging and uh Times are changing and uh, it's important to, yeah, just like check in with everyone in a really like safe environment where we can, you know, um, work out uh, how, how we all feel. Um, so uh, that was really great um, and Erin's just been a rock star um, since she's taken over. So a massive thank you to you, Erin. Uh, as always, a massive thank you to Leah Moore and Anthony Manley for the deadly theme music. Um, Anthony Manley is a member of uh, More Than Machines, which uh, Leah Moore was for many of the year. And they're currently uh, doing a Kickstarter, uh, which I just threw a couple of euro their way uh, during the weekend. If you're in a position to do so, um, do it as well because those guys were rock stars and they did the music for this show completely free of charge um, and that really is something uh, so uh, if you can give back to them that would be great uh, because they are, are deadly and um, their music is really great so I can't wait to hear um, what they're funding for because uh, their new album I can only imagine is going to be brilliant uh, and as always a massive thanks to Connor Nolan for the artwork and Alan Bennett and Paddy O'Leary for having us as part of the network uh, Head Stuff is um, going from strength to strength they have their first book coming out which is a uh, 
by the wonderful Tara Flynn. Um, there's just so many great podcasts on the network now. I used to kind of name them all. There's no point now because they're all just deadly and uh, kind of taking over um, the, the, the nation's uh, podcast chart, which is really exciting. And uh, as always, if you're in a position to give us a rating, a, a subscription on iTunes, um, that just helps in the charts because it's not about listens it's actually about like who's subscribing and who's uh, rating it and stuff so if you're in a position to do that and take a couple of seconds uh, I'd massively appreciate it uh, and if not that's just fine and uh, maybe tell a friend about it or just keep listening you know because it's all the same to us I'm just glad that uh, you are enjoying them if you are so guys please tune in next week when the wonderful Avian McCann plays personality bingo with Tom Morley